The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. There was a wedding in Cana at Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the wine ran short, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, how does this concern affect me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servers, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jar, water jars there for the Jewish ceremonial washings, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told them, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Draw some out and take it to the head waiter. So they took it. And when the head waiter tasted the water that had become wine without knowing where it had come from, although the servers who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves good wine first, and then when people have drunk freely an inferior one, but you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this as the beginning of his signs in Cana and Galilee, and so revealed his glory, and his disciples began to believe in him. The Gospel of the Lord. As a priest, quite often people, uh, as we're talking, will ask me to pray for them. Even people who I, who I don't know, uh, um, or you know, other people who are going through different things. So, Father, would you pray for this or this? And, of course, I say, yes, but, but why do people ask me to pray for them, right? Can't they just pray for themselves? I mean... Right? I'm sure you've asked other people to pray for you, but, but can't you just pray for yourself? Right? What's the, what's the point of, of asking someone else to pray for them? Well, of course there is, right? <laughs> Not saying that it, it isn't. We, we realize that we're kind of more than just a solitary, confined individual on this journey to heaven. That we realize in life in general that we sometimes do things individually, but when we do things with other people, it can sometimes happen faster, right? It can be easier. Many hands make light work, right? And we realize this as well in our journey towards heaven, in our prayer, that although, yes, absolutely, we can go to Jesus Christ directly, and that, well, why would we waste any breath even, you know, talking to anyone else to ask them to well, we realize that we're together on this, right? And that we can ask other people's prayer, not because other people's prayer take us away from Jesus or asking other people to pray for us take us away from Jesus, but because it actually helps us in this journey, in our difficulties, in the things that need our prayers. Now, we as Catholics have not only one another to ask for each other's prayers, which we should be doing often, but we also have the saints in heaven, who if we believe that they're actually in heaven, are more alive than all of us, even though that they're dead to the world. That they are closer to God than all of us, even though that we don't see them. And the saints in heaven, who the church has 
has uh, canonized, who have said are in heaven, we can be assured of them being able to hear our prayers and that we can be assured that they will pray for us. And, of course, the best saint of all is Mary, who we sometimes get criticized, right, for for worshiping Mary. We've got a statue of her over there, right? She's got her own little niche, you know. Like, well, but Mary isn't God, right? And we realize that. She's the mother of God because she's the mother of Jesus Christ. But she isn't God. She doesn't have any power by herself. But guess what? She's still got a lot of power, She's still got a lot of weight. She's got a lot of clout. She's an important saint. She lived a perfect life, right? She's an important friend to know. When we ask people to pray for us, we often go not to the people who don't pray, right? The people who aren't involved with church or anything. We don't ask those people to pray for us. We, pray, we ask the people who we know in our life pray a lot, right? Are really holy. We, pray, we ask those people who spend multiple hours in the Adoration Chapel. We ask them to pray for us, right? And in the same way, we should ask some of the best saints to pray for us, especially Mary. Scripture, in many different places, talk about Mary um, in, in lots of different places. If I had only one scripture to defend our prayer to Mary, our devotion to Mary, our love of Mary, I would choose this gospel today, the wedding feast of Cana, the institution of marriage. But Scripture, as you know, has lots of meanings, right? And it's not just a a simple text that we can read through at a surface reading and be done with, but there's so much packed into it. This wedding feast of Cana tells us about the Mass, it tells us about the sacraments, it tells us about marriage, it tells tells us uh, about how good wine is, right? But it also tells us about Mary and that role that she has in our life. And I'd like to just walk through and kind of explain some of these lines that maybe we just kind of glossed over. And so if if you like to follow along in the book, you know, and you followed along with the gospel, this would be another good time to be able to pull out the, the missile and to be able to follow along just kind of line by line. So it starts out, there's a wedding in Cana. Okay, well, Cana is a little bit far away from Nazareth, so they had to travel there, but, but they're there. But John starts out, and of course, nothing is kind of by accident. We don't say, well, he, he, you know, he just put something down. Well, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he's also intentional about how he writes, and we believe that this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is the Word of God. And so when we read first... The mother of Jesus was there. We should take note that John places the mother of Jesus first at the wedding. And that should give us an indication that this is going to tell us something about the mother of Jesus. He doesn't say Jesus is there first, but the mother of Jesus is there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited. But who's the most important character in this? In some ways, Mary being first mentioned, and then Jesus. Now they're invited to the wedding, and the wine ran short. Now, if you can imagine, you know, inviting somebody over to your house, and then you serve half of the meal, and you run out of food. 
Well, that's an embarrassment to us, but it's even a greater embarrassment to the honor culture of the Jewish people in the Israelite time. That to be a bad host would bring shame and embarrassment upon the family. To not have enough wine for a wedding as you invited all of these guests would be a huge amount of shame and disgrace. And Mary is the first one to notice that. Mary notices that the wine runs short, and so she goes to the person who she knows can help, to her son, Jesus. And she just states the intention. She intercedes on behalf. We kind of recognize in this is that the bride and groom are off during their own thing. We realize that the head waiter didn't really even know that the wine was kind of running short. But that Mary, because she was invited to this wedding, cared for the couple. She was invited into the life, invited into this, into this wedding ceremony, and that, that she didn't want to let them be embarrassed. And so when she sees and she notices, she wants to do something about it. And so she doesn't just try to fix it herself and go, go to the store and buy as much wine as she can and bring it back. No, she, she goes to her son, Jesus, and she states the intention. She intercedes, she goes between to bring that need of the bride and groom, even though that they don't notice, to Jesus. Now Jesus, when he, he responds, Woman, how does your concern affect me? We can sometimes see this as very kind of off-putting, right? Woman, you know? Woman, what are you doing? But uh, the early church fathers often interpreted this not as a woman of an off-putting, but they have certain scriptural and certain, you know, a lot of smarter people than me that know the Greek and kind of study it, uh, kind of say that there are certain times when, yes, he didn't call her mother, but woman could have been a term of affection. And we kind of realize it and read it at an even deeper level, that Mary is the new Eve. When we talk, when, in Genesis, when Genesis is talking about Eve, it often says the woman, the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. Mary is the new Eve who will crush the head of the serpent. And this, in some ways, kind of gives an indication, or at least we should think about Eve when we hear woman here. And then it says, does this concern affect me? It kind of like, how does this, con- is kind of like, again, off-putting. But the Greek, uh, if you, again, people smarter than me who told me, not because I know the Greek, but there's very ambiguous statement here. In fact, it's really hard to translate for us, and there's multiple different ways of translating it. One of the ways that's translated is it says, you know, how does this concern affect you and me? And so there can be kind of, in the Greek, kind of this unification that Mary is with Jesus. And not just this total off-putting, like, you do you and I'll do me. Like, don't, don't get me involved in this. But it's instead can be a, a, a connection there. And then he continues, and he explains, I think, kind of this statement of of this kind of like, how does this concern affect me? You know, is this, and then he says, my hour has not yet come. We kind of understand this as a statement of Jesus, and especially in the Gospel of John, that the hour is constantly referenced in the Gospel of John at every single one of his signs, because as his hour is approaching, his hour, as John is talking about, is the crucifixion is his death. That's the hour that he's talking about. My hour has not yet come. I'm not ready to die yet. My time has not been fulfilled. And so 
he's kind of reminding his mother Mary, like, hey, I'm getting ready for this ministry thing and everything else, right? He's got some disciples and everything, but my hour isn't ready. I'm not ready to reveal my glory and to begin that journey to the cross because at a certain point with his glory and with his miracles, he's preparing himself for the cross. So he says, you know, my hour has not yet come. Basically, you know, kind of reminding Mary, you know, are you ready? Are you ready for this? Because do you realize if you ask me to do this, my hour will come. My death will come. And Mary, in perfect confidence, realizing that, you know, she's like, perfect confidence in God, goes to the servers, says, do whatever he tells you, right? She says, yes, your hour has not yet come, but this, I'm, I'm asking you to have your hour come. I'm asking you to concern yourself with this because this is important. Mary kind of, you know, pulls the trump card, right? Obedience. Obedience to your mother and father. But she guides all of this again to her son Jesus. And she doesn't just avoid it, but then she tells these servants, and we ourselves are servants in the world, and she, as we talk with her, she says, do whatever he tells you. Which at times can be difficult for us, right? When we pray with Mary and she says, well, do whatever my son tells you. And we're like, well, well, he's telling me to do something strange. He's telling me, you know, he's telling me to go fill up some stone jars with water. Like, how does that fix my problem? My problem is with wine. I don't need water. But yet, do whatever he tells you. We do that as well at the Mass here. That at the Last Supper, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And we at times can be like, well, why am I doing this in remembrance of you? This isn't fixing my problem, right? I've got this other problem. We've got these other things. Like, why do I have to do this in remembrance of you? Well, just do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. And through the server's obedience, filling it up to the brim, right? Not just kind of half-heartedly filling it with water, but filling it up to the brim. To doing what he tells you, a miracle takes place, right? Water gets turned into wine. The natural, the ordinary, turns into the supernatural and, and miraculously saves the bride and groom from shame, saves the bride and groom from dishonor. We ourselves come here as well to the Mass to bring up ordinary bread and wine in some ways just doing it in remembrance just because Jesus has told us to do this. But in that, he blesses it, and a miracle takes place, and ordinary bread and wine become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. But it all comes through Mary. Through Mary, who said the first yes to the angel Gabriel, who raised Jesus, who intercedes on our behalf, and as our mother as well, that was given to us at the cross was made our mother as well, who as she is invited into our life, just as she was invited into that wedding, cares for our lives and sees those things at times that we don't even see our problem yet and go and intercedes to her son, Jesus Christ. We have a powerful mother. We have a powerful interceder, a powerful prayer, prayer in heaven with Mary. May we invite 
her into our wedding. May we invite her into our life so that she can be there to see, to intercede, and to help us on this journey together to heaven.